0: With the humor out of the way. uh, We got a sobering uh, topic and to uh, start it off I want to share that I have good news and bad news. Good news and bad news. Um, The bad news first. The bad news first. Okay so this is sobering so we need to change gears here. You will encounter suffering and pain you will encounter experience in your life. You probably all have already, and there will be more suffering and pain. The good news is you don't have to go alone. Pain's tough. Even with somebody on your side, it's still tough. But may we find comfort in knowing up front we don't have to go alone. Last week, Pastor Derek preached his sermon, and I liked how he started it out. If you were not here, he said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. His line came from First Peter 4. We're studying here in First uh, Peter, and First Peter four, it tells us right there, verse twelve: "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. You are forewarned because somehow." we got unrealistic expectations of life and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And these unrealistic expectations lead to disappointment, self-doubt, and confusion. We may have thought uh, by soft-selling the Christian faith in what You will experience by soft selling it, we would make it more attractive to non Christians to consider coming to Christ, but it doesn't. If anything, it repels them. They want to know how Christian faith can face the realities of this world and make a difference. Not how to avoid pain and suffering. But how does faith in Christ help you to go through it? Christ does not offer a life without pain and suffering. But he offers us a way through it. The issue we see uh, throughout scripture is not if you face suffering, but particularly in James, it says when you face it, that it's a given, it's a reality. But therefore, God has given us this incredible capacity to have relationships with others personal relationships that will make a difference when you do encounter pain and suffering. Today we discover that God has given us this resource. He has given this resource to the church, a suffering church, because He wanted to make sure the church would be able to get through the trials, the pain, the heartache, the broken dreams that they were accounting. In our text today, we read that he has given to the suffering church these things that we call shepherding elders. The beginning of chapter 5. He gives us shepherding elders. Let's read the scripture, 1 Peter 5, 1-5. not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we're going to look at um, this resource God has given us, shepherding elders. But before you count yourself out, because you're not in an elected position of the church as an elder, There is the position of elder that we elect, but what we'll discover that we're all shepherding. We're all shepherding. And so much while it applies specifically to those elected in position of elders, in a broader way, it applies to all of us if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And how, because of this gifting he's given us the capacity to have relationships, we do influence others. So let's start with prayer. Father God, often uh, we're clumsy about relationships and how these are suited to fulfill your purposes. They are a gift that you have given us. Elders, shepherding elders is a gift that was given to help a suffering church. May we come to a greater appreciation of the roles that our elders here, the elected elders in a position have. But we may we also see that we help carry the burden that they shoulder by how we shepherd those around us. So open our eyes in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, I called it Shepherding Elders, the title. And we're going to look at three things in our text of Scripture. We're going to look at Peter's example. We're going to look at Peter's instruction. And then Peter's focus. So that whether you're in an elected position, or you might someday be in an elected position of an elder, or like I already mentioned, that you want to make the most of your relationships and being a a gift of God to minister to others by shepherding, that you would be uh, better prepared. And so we're going to look again at Peter's example, Peter's instruction, and then Peter's focus. So, first, the example, and so a little bit of context so we'll appreciate uh, Peter's example in 1 Peter 5. It's, so it says, I exhort the elders among you. I exhort the elders among you. Now, keep in mind, this is a letter that was written to a geographical area that we often refer to as Asia Minor. And so if you look at 1 Peter 1, at the very introduction, it is going to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this letter is written, and it's going to be um, circulated We do not know how many churches there were in those areas that this letter is going to. Many. Uh, I read that it was conjectured up to 10 to 100 different churches that Peter is addressing and it would be passed from one to the other. And Peter makes an assumption here about all of these churches. He says again, I exhort the elders among you So he's assuming all of these churches are already equipped and furnished with elders serving in an official capacity within the church. And I like how it says, among you. See, these elders were amongst, I mean, look around. Look look, look around. There are elders, they may not be in an official position of elder right now today, but maybe next year, two years, three They're among us. He's equipped and prepared. It's not a hired echelon coming from outside. He's among us. The origin of this idea of elders that lead the local churches, it gets inaugurated in Exodus with, Moses, if you called, led the children of Israel out. He was the leader, and he was exhausted because of the demands upon his time. And his father-in-law, Jethro, said to him, "Uh, what you are doing, Moses, trying to do the, the whole leadership thing by yourself is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And then he's given these instructions in Exodus 18.21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. That was the birth of this idea of how the church is going to be organized, different than a business or educational institution where maybe you look to leaders who have administration and organization and budgeting. Uh, The church is different. The church is going to look for these people with the character, the heart, that God identifies that is bent towards Him. It's instituted in the Old Testament, but we see it practiced more fully in the New Testament. Peter's an example of this shepherding elder for us because he witnessed the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Now, he could have saw he he could have tried to hide from us, and pulled out his apostolic card and said, um, "I'm a, 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 a I'm an apostle. I'm a, a, a the church was going to be built upon me." But no, he identifies with the suffering of Christ. He identifies as a. Fellow elder. Not above. Not below. Fellow elder. There's no this hierarchy. There's no comparison. He's a fellow elder. The thing that's significant about here in that Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ, he inflicted suffering upon Jesus Christ. Not physical, but emotional, certainly. His inability when he was walking on water to keep his eyes on Christ and the wind came and he got distracted and fear overwhelmed him. He took his eyes off Christ and he started to sink. Undoubtedly, the disappointment. When um, the courtyard, uh, well, first he proclaimed he would never forsake Jesus Christ. He would never deny Jesus Christ. And then probably when the pain was the greatest upon Jesus Christ, during the trial and crucifixion, and that maid, lady in the courtyard, confronted him, he denied knowing Jesus Christ. Something happened to this guy, Peter. See, he was not perfect. He was no different than you and I and all of our shortcomings that we think rule us out from a role of uh, leadership or uh, influencing of of other people. Peter's no different. Something happened to Peter. Because after the resurrection, when he sees Jesus Christ on the beach cooking breakfast for the disciples. And Jesus Christ looks at Peter, the same Peter who was the source of some of the suffering of Jesus Christ, and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. Three times, and each time Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I'm going to leave but I'm empowering you now to feed my sheep. Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ and that should encourage us. God uses imperfect people, imperfect elders. You do not have to be perfect to be an elder. What you do need to have is a bent of one's heart that's not perfect, but it's leading you on a path towards surrender, an increasing surrender to God and His ways. And so Peter helps us identify this heart of a shepherding elder. Peter's instruction um, is the second thing I want us to look at. He tells the folks there, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, take note of that. That here he's talking now, there's this suffering church, and for this church to get through this period, now you've got to understand, they're suffering, not like you and I. You know, I, I'm not even sure if we can comprehend sh- suffering. I know we all have our little uh, suffering, and when we encounter it, it feels huge to us, and I don't want to uh, deny that, but the suffering they are, they are sojourners. They've been displaced. They are being persecuted by the Roman legions. Their life is threatening. Uh, Some despicable um, uh, pulling apart of families and even uh, death. So their suffering is of a whole different scope. And uh, what, what God is saying here now, for the church who's going to be persecuted to make it through, you need key people in leadership. You need the right people that are going to be able to handle that kind of stress. And not only them, but the following. He says here that you are to lead the flock that is among you, a flock. So again, I, you know, and I take this and the application would be um, these elders that are elected that have this official position, they are looking at a much bigger picture, a flock, not individual sheep. Their challenge is to keep their eye on the spiritual climate of that flock, that church family. What is the overarching spiritual climate? What can we do to foster an increasing spiritual maturity within the flock? It's what they call oversight. They are to exercise oversight, the scripture tells us. This word oversight, we get the word scope from it. Microscope, telescope. To see the scope of something, you're looking at this broad picture. Where are we going? What is God's purpose? Are we moving in the direction that God asks of us? It's a very, very important picture uh, because it helps the health of the church. And it works its way through the church family. You are impacted whether you realize it or not. God intends to do this, have key people overseeing so that the church matures and is prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you an example from our text how this might look here at Faith Church just as an example, how it may play itself out. Often in the Bible, the Bible will prescribe something, uh, command, say this is an a, uh, absolute expectation, but does not describe how you might go about accomplishing it. For example, um, well, first, you know, God gives freedom because of how different people are, cultures and generations change. But here's the example we see in verse 5. The prescription is, humble yourself toward one another. Okay, that transcends all generation, all time, all programs. But how do we here at Faith Church in the 20th century go about the exercising, the uh, uh, increasing the capacity of this humility, not only in individual lives, but corporately as a church family? How we work out an enlarging capacity to be humble here at Faith is worked out through all of us You don't need a program or a title. You don't need a title. So you don't have to be an elected official as an elder to partner up with this expectation that you would become an increasingly humble person. And as you do become humble, you inspire. And little do you know, in that, you are a leader. The best leaders of the ministry of humility are those who don't even know they are leading. The emphasis is not on a title, shepherd, but on the activities that we identify as shepherds that's why I call it shepherding elders. The word shepherd is not a noun, it's a verb. It's not as though I'm a shepherd. The emphasis is on what activities are you engaging? Are you engaging in activities that are in keeping with what it would mean to be a shepherd? The emphasis on the caring, the nurturing, the defending, the protecting the discipline, the correction. That's the emphasis, not on the title. Only one place do we see a a, a title or a noun, and that is in the Scripture, the chief shepherd is coming. Elders are called to shepherd the flock, not individual sheep. It's their role to multiply their function among many of us by empowering us to discover ways in smaller communities or even informally to grow in humility toward one another. The challenge of any group of our official elected elders is balancing the load of things that they oversee. How they don't always lent the tyranny of the urgent, take their eyes overseeing that which is of most important and that is the spiritual climate of the flock or the well-being of this church family. It's so easy for um, you know teams to just gravitate to that which what they are most comfortable with, such as budgets and buildings, and staff and programs. All of those are important, but they should never overwhelm to the point that they are taking their eyes off of what they are called to oversee, and that's people and spiritual life. A result of that, you'll see our elected elders will often call on gifted people who have gifts of administration, organization, business, budgeting, to help the church family by ministering under their leadership, freeing them to keep their priorities in focus. Peter gives um, three things here uh, for a shepherding elder. But these things apply to all people who shepherd others if they're going to do it well. The first one we see in verse 2 there. I mean, yeah, in verse 2. Uh, Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but Willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, if you were like me, i go, phew, I'm not willing, so no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I I think that's a commentary on Ed Setter. I think that's a commentary on our culture. Uh, um, um, Because look at it here. Uh, Think about this. This church was in the midst of being... uh, um, repressed, suppressed by the Romans, and the suffering was real. And whenever there's suffering in the world and the church and Christians are being persecuted, who usually is the first one to go to jail? The leaders. The pastors. So for somebody in their context to step up and say, I will be an elder, they realize it's coming with a great price. And so Peter says, I don't want you to do it out of compulsion. It's not because Ed Sutter called you up and gave you a guilt complex and forced you to say yes, you know, as hard as he did. There has to be something that transcends a higher sense of this is what I am called to do. Scripture teaches why this is so important as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a leader. In John 10, we have this verse, that, You know, because if you're not engaged willingly, but you're doing it for other purposes, we have in John 10 where the shepherd hires a hireling to oversee the flock. And we have this verse. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, is hireling, who's not really doing it willingly. He sees the wolf coming. And what does he do? I'm kind of getting a laugh here because I can just see the picture. He leaves the sheep. That's exactly why we have you here. That's not the time to leave the sheep. But he leaves the sheep and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees, the, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Willingly. So, we need to be praying for willing elders. Not just for the elders we currently have, but for the future. Uh, the second uh, thing we see in two is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Boy, th- th- this is a high bar here. You know, you, you can't go, well, um, uh, maybe, I I just don't know. I mean, I understand all that uncertainty, but at some place, there has to be a a growing spiritual uh, maturity that understands what God is inviting you into and the role he is offering to you. It should be very affirming for you. uh, If you ever receive a phone call from a, a committee that is looking uh, for potential elders that God may be calling on, just the phone call should affirm you because they are identifying something. Um, in other words, the, the elders are really come out of people in the flock that already are demonstrating a capacity to shepherd. They, they are engaged in activities that of the caring, the protecting, They're already engaged in those kind of activities. Um, And so when they call you, you should be honored that you are revered, you are respected in the community here and see you as a worthy candidate. So eagerly, not for shameful gain, yeah, 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 certainly not here, you know, I don't think that's a problem, but I think we all have heard stories about um, uh, pastors flying their airplane to go on speaking engagements or, or a resort somewhere, and, and we all scratch our head going, my goodness, what, what church is that? Well, what do they pay that pastor? Uh, not for shameful gain. But this does not uh, disclude uh, paying elders or staff who serve as elders, because what they recognize, what your leadership team, and I think we all recognize that some of the workload is of such a volume, of such an importance or magnitude, the time that it would take, we need to compensate. And certainly we see that teaching in 1 Timothy five seventeen and 18 about lending to elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor. Um, so it is appropriate, but not for shameful gain. So I don't think we are in danger here of, um, well, we're not. Um, it's not money that motivates one to serve. It's not money that motivates one to serve. The money is important. Uh, you, you know They're living too. The money is important. But they already answered a, a sense that God has them to go into ministry for a reason. But it's not just all money that might be a, a person trying to uh, gain that would be shameful. It could be power, control prestige, status. Could be sympathy or pity, believe it or not. That's shameful gain. The last one there is not domineering, verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Um, you know, throughout history, uh, we're appalled at sometimes what we see about Christian, Christian leaders today, but it's no different. It's been going on. And not just Christian leaders, any leaders, the great abuse of leadership is not new. Um, it, it's, so don't be shocked. Even amongst the children of Israel, we see particularly in Ezekiel where God was calling... Uh, folks to lead this nation of Israel in Ezekiel 34. He says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So those are the three um, characteristics of the heart that makes a good shepherding elder that is overseeing a flock. But use that for yourself as you are open to how God might want to use you to influence and share the love of Christ around you. Put those up against and inspire. Again, it's not as though you're perfect and you can say, oh, I'm absolutely arrived. There's no shameful gain. There's no mixed motives within me. But increasingly uh, confess when it becomes apparent. Yeah, I got mixed motives of why I said yes to this task. Uh, God, I want to do it out of more purity. Well, what would that purity be? Why would that purity be that in a suffering context like um, um, Asia Minor in the Roman province where uh, Jews were being persecuted, that a person might say yes? I mean, if there's no money in it, and you might suffer, why would anybody say yes? Um, Verse uh, 4 I think is, uh, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, personal testimony here. You know, when I first read this, I go, "Uh, ah, this thought of crowns, that's just a, a shameful gain. Um, uh, That that's what appeals to me that, oh, I'm going to engage in in this Christian activity because here's, there's something external, there's something tangible that, (sighs) it's like when I was a little kid and we were told to memorize scripture and we had our names on the board with a ribbon and every time we got a scripture memorized, they put a little marker Ah, man, I was going to get the most markers of anyone. See, external uh, things, uh, you know, they have their place. I'm not saying they're not, but there's great danger in it. I mean, I mastered a lot of Scripture verses. But I can't really say I mastered what God wanted me to hear in those verses. So when I read this, I was more motivated by the crowns that I stumbled over the crown giver. It's almost like you see these crowns and these jewels, you know, that we probably all seen pictures of and go, yeah, I'm going to get a a, um, Burger King crown. Well, a little bit more majestic than that. But that's where our eyes immediately go and gravitate towards. That Here's the crown giver, the chief shepherd, and he kind of gets pushed to the background. See, I I think these um, followers of Jesus Christ that Peter is addressing here, see, they knew the agony, they walked with Christ, or they certainly knew people who had They saw Christ firsthand. They were emotionally attached to him. He was very important to him. You certainly see that in the upper room. You see that whenever he forecasts that he was going to leave them and they're um, um, distressed that he was going to go away. They did not want to let go. This relationship, so to those folks, the idea that he's coming back, that this chief shepherd would appear. There was no um, uh, glory beyond that. The crown is good, secondary to the crown giver. And that personalness of a relationship with Jesus Christ and God, that that personalness is what would motivate somebody to say yes to God. Not an impersonal force, not a concept, not a, a scripture verse that you got cataloged somewhere in the back of your brain, but a personal relationship. Shepherding elders lead a church through suffering. Not all serve as elected elders, but all can function. Not in the position, but in the role. All can function by taking on shepherding capacities. Way you care and tend to others. Then he concludes, verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you. He probably put all of you because just prior to that, he talked about young children. um, um, Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Okay, That's not necessarily chronological age. Whenever elders is in there, um, it's... It's either the position of elder or its age, and they look at it by context. And so it's believed that he is talking about those who are not in official capacity, you're in a subordinate role, you're younger in that sense, um, be subject to the elders. But then he makes sure we all get the message, regardless of your age. Young kids, grandparents, all of you, it says. Not me. No, all of you. Now I gotta find some. I gotta find an out here. I gotta find an out here. There's gotta be an out with. All of you with. Humility. See, isn't that what we're learning about? First Peter, husbands and wives, and uh, you know, uh, employees with the, about th- this word that submission. You know, humility. Why is it so hard, God? Humility. By practicing humility in the church family. Practicing humility. A healthy humility. In life, wherever you're at, you are shepherding others. Especially when it stands out and they ask, what motivates you? What are you trying to gain from this? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'll just leave it and you can put in the blanks what you would say. Your, hum- your humility will allow you to come alongside someone who is suffering. See, your humility will allow you not necessarily the elected elder but the multiple multiple folks who are shepherding through this humility by coming along somebody who's suffering and not try to fix it because when you're in pain that's not what they need they just need you they just need you to be there with them so good news bad news Bad news is, you will suffer and feel pain. God knew this. It hurts his heart too. But he came to earth to be with us. The good news is that you don't have to go that road alone. God suffered. He humbled himself, came to earth. He suffered. Christ died on the cross alone in that. He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Peter denied him. He suffered alone so that we would not have to. And now you can minister to those around you through your presence. Let's pray. Father, we, God, the truth is we wish um, this was not true, that pain and suffering is here. But I think most of us realize that we would not change our ways. We probably would not even seek you unless the pain and suffering is of such a magnitude that we humble what we hold on to, we surrender and let go. So we see pain and suffering um, can help us by purifying, reveal what is true, help us to clarify So help us be good followers of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name I pray, amen.